following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. today is entitled A God Who Kneels A God Who Kneels Almighty God you see the heart of every person who's in this room you understand what needs to happen to rescue to change to restore and to rebuild I pray now, Lord, your Holy Spirit will come. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I had two dreams. In the first, the Lord spoke to me and said, study the life of Jacob. After about an hour of prayer and Thinking about what the Lord had said to me, I went back to bed. I immediately had another dream. And the Lord said to me, 
I will do for you what I did for Joseph. Again, I spent the next hour or so just praying, saying thank you. And then the next morning, in spite of the fact that I had just finished reading the book of Genesis, I went back again to the life of Jacob and said, what have I missed? Let's do Jacob again. There's something here God wants me to get. Just a brief setting to focus today on what I want to share with you. Jacob was a twin. When he came out of the womb, he was clasping his older brother's heel, older only because he'd been born first, Esau. And so they named him Heel Grabber. And it was truly his personality, always grasping for what he thought he needed, always grasping for what he needed to survive, always reaching out, reaching out, reaching out, trying to get what he wanted. He was Heel Grabber. And then he stole the birthright from his brother, the birthright being the double portion of all of the money of his father's estate. It was worth a great deal. It was also the spiritual blessing of his father. He stole from his brother Esau, and his brother Esau, being a warrior man, knew exactly what to do. He said, as soon as my dad is dead, I'm killing my brother. Well, mom heard that and said, you better go and stay with Uncle Laban. And so he fled. And on the way, as he's fleeing to his Uncle Laban so that his brother will not kill him, he lays down in the desert. He puts a stone that was there under his head as a pillow and spends quite an uncomfortable night. And in that nighttime, a vision comes. The vision is found in Genesis 28. I'll simply read it for you. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. This is verse 10, Genesis 28:10. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. Now remember, his daddy was very wealthy. And his grandpa had sent with his dad, the servant, to find a wife, camel loads of gifts to pay the bride price. But because he had lied to his father and stolen the birthright, daddy was mad and sent him off to Uncle Laban's to get a wife with no bride price. So he was going to have to work out the bride price. And as you know the story, it was a seven-year working out the bride price. He worked free for seven years. And then he was given the wrong wife, Sister Ugler. And he had to work another seven years for his Rachel. So altogether for Rachel, he worked 14 years for Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban was a pagan. And he was the heel grabber of heel grabbers. Jacob had nothing on him. So you recognize God sent him to a better heel grabber than he was to teach him how painful it was to be a heel grabber. We would say it was poetic justice. As he's sleeping, verse 12, he has a dream in which he sees a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. We know that that stairway from the New Testament is described as being Jesus himself. Jesus is the stairway into the heavens. And there stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. 
I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Well, Jacob wakes up. He says, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? It is the house of God. It is the gate of heaven. And so it was called Bethel. Bethel simply means house of God. The next morning, he sets a stone up, he pours oil on it, and he says, this is the house of God. Now, it's important. We're going to come back to Bethel again. Jacob made a vow, verse 20. If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey that I'm taking, and if he will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So he makes a deal with God. He enters into a covenant, and you see how utterly cheap he was. God's just promised, I'm going to give you all of this land to own for yourself. I'm going to give you offspring to fill this land. I'm going to bless you wherever you go. And he says, okay, God, what I really want is just my clothes and my food, and I'll work. So for the next 20 years, God holds him to his bargain. God wanted to bless him with everything, with property, with recognition. He wanted to bless him abundantly. But by his covenant with God, he limits what God can give him to just food and clothes. Have you made any vows with God that limit what God can do for you? God, if I can just have a minute of peace. Okay, God will give you one minute of peace, but what about the next hour? God, if I can just have this one business deal. Okay, you can have that one business deal and then the rest of them are going to crash. I mean, what are we asking God for? What kind of a covenant are you making with God? He has said, I'm going to raise you up and seat you at my right hand in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to seat you at the right hand of the throne of God. And you say, no, why don't you just give me some clothes to wear and some food to eat and a house to live in and I'll be happy. We make foolish vows to God. So off to Uncle Laban's house he goes. He works 14 years. He's cheated 10 times on wages. And finally the Lord says, go back home. He still hasn't learned not to be a heel grabber. 20 years of hard labor and he's still a heel grabber. Sometimes time doesn't educate us. Sometimes we'll work for 20 years or 30 years and have one year's experience. It's just repeated 30 times. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to enter into his covenant with him. So Jacob is met by the angels of God. He's going at the command of God. He knows he's following the will of the Lord God of heaven. So he sends a message to his brother Esau. I'm coming home. I have a family. I have herds. I have everything I need. In other words, Esau, don't kill me. I don't need any of your money. I'm not coming to claim anything. Now, daddy still hadn't died. 20 years Isaac has been blind for 20 years. He thought he was going to get out easy. Imagine Isaac's life for 20 years, blind. Every day, all he's doing is waiting to die. Have you ever said that to God? Could I just die? I'm so miserable, I don't want to live anymore. Just let me die. 20 years, Esau just wanted to die. 
or Isaac just wanted to die. And he lost his son to Uncle Laban. And his other son Esau was never home anyway. He was always off in the wilds. I think those last 20 years of Isaac's life were probably pretty bitter years. So word comes back that Esau is on his way to meet him. And he has 400 armed men. Now, all he can hear in his mind is, he's coming to decimate me. He's coming to kill me. He said he was going to kill me. He's coming to kill me. It didn't matter that the angels of God had met him. It didn't matter that God had said, this is what I'm going to do for you. It only mattered what he believed. It's vital for us to understand what we believe. And we either operate by what we believe or we operate by what God believes. Now he decides that he is going to persuade his brother not to kill him. The key verse is 8 in chapter 32, verse 8. It says, he thought. He thought. After he thought, he prayed. This is his prayer. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two groups. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there. This was his prayer, pleading with God. But what I want you to see is that God does not answer his prayer. And God does not kneel over him. We serve a God who comes and kneels over his people. God did not come and kneel over him. He was praying out of the terror of his heart and out of his own thoughts. He wasn't praying the prayer of faith. He wasn't praying the prayer of trust. He was praying in terror because he thought his brother was going to kill him. So he selects gifts for his brother Esau. Verse 14 of chapter 32, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 220 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female. I mean, he sent him thousands and thousands of dollars worth of livestock. He separated each into a little herd and sent a herdsman toward Esau, with that little herd. And each one was told to say the same thing. This is a gift from your brother that you, my Lord, would find favor. Jacob is still terrified. He's hoping to pacify his brother. He has no reassurance. All he has is the word of God. Then we come to the part I want to focus on now. Genesis 32. Begin with verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions So Jacob was left alone. God is finally getting Jacob where he wants him. He wants to get him alone. 
He doesn't want us to have our cell phones. He doesn't want us to have our internet. He doesn't want us to have a bunch of people around. He wants us alone so he can begin to speak to our hearts. As he is alone, it says, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. In high school, I did a lot of wrestling. I can tell you from experience that wrestling is brutal. It is violent. It is sweaty. It is dirty. Especially when you're wrestling on the ground. First, one thinks he has him pinned. And with a quick move, the other flips him over. There are blows involved. This went on all night. I think it's probably the dirtiest God ever got. It's God himself who is fighting with this man, Jacob. And Jacob, by the way, was not a weakling. He was a very powerful man, a muscular man. And the fight is bitter between them. As the day begins to dawn after wrestling all night, it says in verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. That man was Jesus incarnate. He said, let me go. For it is daybreak. If he had let him go at this point, nothing would have changed. He would have just been filthy dirty the next morning. Nothing would have changed. But Jacob replies, now knowing he is wrestling with God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. There has to rise up in a man or woman's heart this hungry cry that says, all right, I've lied, I've stolen, I've been unclean, I've said wicked things. You're right, I've done all of that. But I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm going to hang on to you, God. Now, let's be honest. We all have to hang on to something. The question is, what are we going to hang on to? We can hang on to our entertainment and just forget what the reality is of the world. We can hang on to our jobs and say, if I can just make enough money, I'll be all right. We can hang on to our houses. We can hang on to our family. There are many different things we can hang on to. And in the end, we'll remain the same as we are. Except we'll be dirty. Or we can hang on to God. I can't explain it. All I can tell you is that throughout my life, there has come up from the time I was a child, the constant cry of my heart. Bless me, O God. Grant me your favor, O God. I have refused to let go of him. There have been times when I thought I had let go of him. Only discovered that he hadn't let go of me. God does not give up easily on a person that he desires to save, and he desires to save all men and women. He's not going to let go of you just because you let go of him quickly. He's going to hang on until you decide to engage again with him in the battle. And what is the battle for? Listen to this. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Well, what does the word bless mean? 
I thought the word bless meant to give good gifts, to show approval for, to wish the best. Have you been blessed by your father or by your mother or your grandma or grandpa? Dad Yoder said to me just before he died, I bless you, Ray. Thank you for all you've done for me. I bless you. Well, I thought he was saying, I wish you the best. That's not what the word bless means. In Hebrew, the word bless means to kneel over. To kneel over. Jacob is saying, I will not let you go until you kneel over me. Well, who do you kneel over? You kneel over someone who is helpless on the ground. You kneel over someone who is injured, who is hurt. You kneel over someone that needs to be rescued. I didn't see any of you come to me today and kneel over me. Why? Because I'm on my feet. Thank you very much. God will never bless a man who's on his feet. The blessing of God only comes when we recognize that we are flat on the ground and we need ministry. We need healing. We need restoration. We need something from God. Jacob needed something from God. He needed his brother to show him favor and not murder him. He needed for his wives and his children to not be murdered. He needed for his flocks and his herds to not be stolen from him. He's on the ground. He's been wrestling all night. His hip has been thrown out of joint. He is incapable of fighting anymore. God wants to bring us to a point, if it takes 20 years out of your life, to work for Uncle Laban and to be miserable. Whatever it takes, it took Moses 40 years in the wilderness herding sheep. You know how miserable sheep. You have to put oil on their heads so that it runs down over their face. Do you know why? Because the flies come and they lay their eggs and they go in the sheep's nose and they lay their eggs and worms come out and go into the brain of the sheep and make it go crazy with pain until it dies. So a shepherd has to put the anointing of oil on the head of the sheep to keep the flies away. The aromic oil the flies don't like and they get stuck in that oil. And then every night the shepherd has to clean out the nostrils of the sheep to make sure there's no fly remains in there so that no eggs will hatch. We're the sheep of God. We're the lambs of God. There are things he has to do with us that he can't do as long as we're on our feet. That's why we're called the National Prayer Chapel. Meaning a people who are down on their faces before God. Meaning a people who are down low enough and small enough that God can kneel over them. As long as we're striding across the earth, making deals with God. God, you do this for me and I'll give you a tenth of everything you give me. Just take care of my clothes and my food, God, and I'll be a happy camper. Are you kidding me? God wants us to come and lay our lives down at his feet and and desire above all else that he would come and kneel over us. 
that he would come and minister to us. And if in pride we're standing upright, saying, I need this God, I need that. Sometimes I think we believe that God is our servant instead of we being his servant. We were called to be the servants of God. The servant comes and kneels before his master. He gets down low. Only the master takes the high position. Do you have something rising up in your spirit that says, Oh God, I will not let you go until you kneel over me. Do you remember the Christians that Jesus said he was about to vomit them out of his mouth in the book of Revelation? They were the lukewarm Christians. They were the Christians who enjoyed the benefits of the Christian faith and went about their business. Thank you very much. There's no fire in their belly. They don't need anything bad enough to get down low before God. We need the power and the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he'll begin to do in our hearts is convict us of our great desperate need for God, for our desperate need to have Jesus come and kneel over us. With Jacob, he had to put him through 20 years of hard labor. Then he had to send his brother after him with 400 armed soldiers, threatening to kill him before he would finally get serious with God and say, all right, God. Before Jacob was willing to fight with God, to wrestle with God. Now, the most painful part of my Christian experience has been the silence of God. I know why God's been silent. He's wanted me to wrestle with him. And I've said, I don't fight. I don't, I don't need anything that badly. You know, I've, I've got things pretty well covered. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'd like a few blessings. You know, add to me a little bit of this and a little bit of that and bless me, bless me, bless me, God. That's not how it works. I could never understand why God would not answer my prayer until there were tears involved. I could never answer or understand why God would not get serious with me until I really prayed aloud before him and cried out to him and got desperate. And I used to say to him, Lord, why won't you answer me when I just talk with you? Well, because we're not equals. He's in charge. And the traps of the devil can only be broken by this intense hunger rising up in my heart that says, I'm not satisfied with what's going on. I need something from God. I need God to come and kneel over me. Now, your perspective of God is much different when you're standing and you shake hands with God. Versus laying on the ground, wounded and about to die. And God comes and kneels over you and begins to bind up your wounds. Like the man who was traveling that road and thieves stole everything he had and left him naked and bruised and dying on the road. And the Samaritan came along and bound up his wounds and put the oil in the wound and the the wine to purify them, bound them up and took them took that man to a a day's inn, took him to a hotel, paid his bill. I mean, what would have happened between that man and the Samaritan if they'd both been walking down the same road? And one said, hi, my name's Bill. Oh, my name's Joe. Good to meet you. And they went on their way. They didn't need anything from each other. 
That's how we've treated God. We've been content to live at a very low level and just get along with what we have and been content to say, God, could I have a few more crumbs of that donut? Could I have some sweets over here? I want to tell you today, that won't make it with God. If you want something from God, you're going to have to go and wrestle him for it. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to have this great hunger rise up in your heart that says, I have to have something from God or I'm going to die. I know why not many of you come and give testimony. Because you've just been getting a couple blessings here and there from God. But you don't need anything really. I'd love to hear some people come up here and say, I've been fighting with God all week. And he hasn't given me what I wanted. But I'm not going to turn away. I'm going to continue to wrestle with God until he comes through. Until that happens, the National Prayer Chapel will just be a name. And we won't be on the ground in desperate need, crying out to God until he comes and kneels over us. The truth is the National Prayer Chapel needs God to come and kneel over us. We need him to kneel over our families, our children. We need him to come for us. We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it unless Jesus comes. Now he says, what is your name? Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. The word Israel in the Hebrew, we usually have just said, oh, it means overcome. That's not what it means. The literal meaning of the word Israel in the Hebrew is struggles with God. Struggles with God. Because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Then Jacob tries to get familiar with God. Please tell me your name. I told you my name. Now you tell me your name. He says, why do you ask me my name? In other words, you know who I am. Stop playing games with me. And it says he blessed him there. Literally, he knelt over Jacob there. Jacob is still flat on the ground with his hip thrown out of joint. His brother is coming with 400 soldiers to kill him. With a heart filled with rage and bitterness that never has ceased to flow out of his heart. And God kneels over him. And Jacob calls the place. Penel, meaning the face of God. What I want you to see here is that Jacob wrestled with God, not for God's hand. He wrestled with God for God's face. Tell me, is it easy for you to wrestle No. It takes all of our dignity away. It says we need something, and we don't want to need anything. At least we don't want anybody to know we need anything. So here he is, flat on his back. He's injured. His hip is thrown out of joint. He's in a great deal of pain. He's looking up, and here's God bowing over him, kneeling over him. 
blessing him. But from that position, is Jacob looking at the hands of God? No. He's looking at the face of God. Tell me, how would you feel when you came in to the church today? Instead of shaking hands with one another, what if everybody came and put their hands like this on your face? Whoa, we don't do that. My face is very visible, but don't touch it. Thank you very much. In American culture, that is a very intimate thing. We'll let our wife or our husband or someone we love touch us on the face. But you don't walk up to a casual person and cup their face in your hands. You'd get punched. What I want you to get is that Jacob is in the face of God. He's in intimacy with God. He's not looking at his hands. This is a face-to-face encounter with God himself. It is not the God's, it is not God's hand that he needs to deliver him from his brother Esau. It is God's face that he needs. He needs the God who will kneel over him. It doesn't tell us how they parted. That's one of my first questions I'm going to ask Jacob when I see him in heaven. I'm going to say, did you touch the face of God? Did God touch your face? And what did Jacob say, what did God say to you when he left you? We'll get a hint just another minute about that. So it is now day. He stands up. He can barely stand. He's limping. His hip is thrown out of joint. I don't know how he got across the jaybuck with that hip. I'm sure he was a mess with mud. Remember, he's fought in the dirt all night. And now he goes to the J-book and he's splashed. And that dust turns to mud. With no dignity. With nothing to show himself as powerful or strong. He meets his brother with 400 armed men. And he falls down on the ground seven times before he meets his brother. And his brother's heart is moved with compassion. He is now the elder brother who loves his little brother. And because of the face of God, he gives now Jacob intimacy with his brother Esau. And his brother Esau enfolds him in his arms. And they weep over one another. All because God knelt over Jacob. God knelt over Jacob. I'm going to close there today. We're going to continue this next Sunday. But I do want to read one passage of scripture out of the book of Hosea. It's found in Hosea, the 12th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 3. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel. 
and talked with him there, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name, the name of renown. You must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. I don't look like Jacob, but I was wrestling with God last night. I was wrestling with God last night by saying, Lord, I know what you've promised me. I wait on you. Like a servant waits on his master, I wait upon you. I will not go out in my own strength, for I have none. I wait on you, O God. Has God made promises to you? Is there a cry in your heart that says, I've got to get serious about God? As you go out this week, recognize you have no power to accomplish the desires of your heart. Oh, you can make a few little things happen. But if God does not come this week and kneel over you and grant you favor at work, grant you favor with those who have control over your life, if if God does not come and grant you that favor, Esau may devour you. If you don't pay attention to that inner call of the Holy Spirit that says, Come, kneel at the feet of Jesus. Submit to him. Surrender to him. You're not going to make it. I asked Jesus this morning. Would you kneel over me? Would you kneel over me? Oh, Lord. Would you kneel over the National Prayer Chapel? Would you bring about whatever circumstances are necessary in each of our individual lives to cause cause us to give up all hope except in you, Jesus? It is your face that we seek, not your hand. We're not asking you to do some little thing for us. We're asking, O God, that you would come and rescue us from this wicked day and this wicked age. We're asking, God, that you would come and save our families. We're asking, Lord God, that you would come and save our nation. That you would bring conviction of sin, first to our heart and then to those in our family around us and then to this nation. Lord God, come and kneel over us or we're going to perish. Thank you, Lord. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
at thy throne of mercy find a sweet relief kneeling there in deep contrition help my Oh. 